Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Well, good morning, Three Creeks Church. My name is Ralph Trainer, and I get to be Joel's dad, who gets to be the pastor of Three Creeks Church. I absolutely love this church, and uh, I've been attending virtually every Sunday. It has helped me to find and follow God. How about it? Not that he was ever lost, but uh, if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Happy Father's Day, a couple Father's Day stories before I begin with the passage we just looked at. Um, Joel and David, his brother, played some soccer at a university, and, and I traveled to away, an away game to a southern state. It was a big game, and there was a big crowd as soccer goes, and I sat in the top next to Mark, another dad of one of the players. Um, a crowd gathered, a group of hooligans uh, down front, and there was a ringleader who, during warm-ups, looked at a program and yelled out, Hey, Joel! Joel, not knowing who in the world would be calling him out, looked to see, and the guy said, I'm already in your head. Number nine, Joel Trainer. Every time you touch the ball, you're going to hear me. And for 90 minutes, he was true on that promise. For 90 minutes, every time Joel passed the ball, good or bad, he had some commentary yelling out, you suck, Joel. You're the worst ever, Joel. And it went on the entire game. At the end of the game, I looked at Mark and I said, I can't take it anymore. I'm going to go down there. And he said, you're going to get beat up. <laughs> and uh, I went down and I, I tapped the guy on the shoulder and I reached back somewhere near Indianapolis and I came through and I said, I don't think we've met. I, I'm Joel's dad. And he just, he went all white, and he said, dude, dude, I'm sorry, man. I, I do that every game. And I said, no problem. And I drove away from that game, and I thought, what it must have been like for the Heavenly Father. He loved his son so much that he gave Jesus, who was beat up and ridiculed and laughed at and mocked and spit on and killed, and what the father must have felt as his son said, Father, forgive them, for they, they don't know what they're doing. A few weeks later, I went to a conference. Uh, it was called Rekindle the Flame, and I figured I needed uh, some help. Uh, if you don't come apart, you will come apart. And so for me, it was a time to just kind of put aside the, the cell phone and the, the emails, turn the TV off, and spend some time with my Heavenly Father. 
There was another soccer game. It was about an hour away. And I got in this goofy funk. I came to spend time with my father, but I, I really want to go watch this, this soccer game. And for whatever reason, I, I felt a release with blessing. And so I drove to the, the soccer game. It was one of my all-time favorite games that I watched my boys play. And the next morning, I'm driving to the conference, and I'm, I'm talking to the Lord out loud. And I say, Lord, I, I just had the best time last night. I love watching my boys play. I take such delight in doing that. And I sense that the Lord said to me, I take delight in watching you. And I said, no, you don't. I thought I thought it, but I said it because I know I said it out loud because I felt this. I just disagreed with God. And I just sensed the car flooded with his grace and his presence. And he said, oh, but I do. I take delight. I love spending time with you. And I want you to know this Father's Day that the Lord is glad that you're here. He takes delight in the fact that you're here and that you're spending time with him today. Another one of my favorite stories, I actually just heard it this year. Some of you know the, the name Ernest Hemingway. Um, a gifted writer wrote The Old Man and the, and the Sea, won the Nobel Peace Prize, the Pulitzer Prize for his literary genius. His home life was a wreck, very dysfunctional. He hated his mom, didn't get along with his, his father. And many wonder if the story that he wrote entitled The Capital of the World came from his own personal relationship with his dad. The story is about a young man named Pablo who things got so estranged at home that the boy said, I can't take it anymore, and he took off from uh, Madrid to become a matador, uh, a bullfighter, really a quest for suicide. And the father, in his last attempt to reach out to his son, took an ad out in the Madrid El Pais, the, the paper uh, called The Country. And in it, he wrote, Pablo, meet me at the Hotel Montano at 2 o'clock on Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. Father had no way of knowing what to expect. But when he arrived on Tuesday at 2 o'clock, there were 800 Pablos looking for the forgiveness of their father. There was a survey done the world over, I understand, and people were asked, what do people want to hear more than anything else? What's the, the favorite thing that people love to hear? Number one, I love you. Number two, I forgive you. And number three, supper's on. It's time to eat. 
And on this Father's Day, let me remind you, it, it makes a great communion message. On this Father's Day, the Father says to you, I love you. I take delight in you. I forgive you. The psalmist said, happy is the person who knows that his sins are, are forgiven. Come and fellowship. This afternoon, we, we even have a chance to go out and grab some hot dogs together. Encourage you, if you're, your father is living or you're near him, to have fellowship with your, your dad, if not today, in the very near future. Let's pray together, and then I'll share a few things from God's Word. Father, we pause and we, we acknowledge that you're Abba, Father. Um, you could have been anything else, but you chose to adopt us as sons and daughters. You made us join heirs with Jesus. We're brothers and sisters to a king, the king of kings, who we sung about a little bit ago, the name that is above every name, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you're really the Lord over all. And so we pause to acknowledge you and say that you're the Lord of this church and you're the Lord of our lives. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. My dad, um, on his deathbed, his last words were, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. And then he died. I, I absolutely love this book. Uh, most of you perhaps know that there are 66 books, right? 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, 1,189 chapters, 31,103 verses, 789, 650 Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew words. And your sermon series is pulling out some heroes that we haven't heard of. That's a challenge, and so I'm pretty sure that I've picked someone you have heard of, but I'd love to remind you of this story. I'd like to ask you a question this morning. If I were to ask you the question, do you love God? You might think about that for a minute and say, Yes, I, I'm convinced I, I do love God, and there's nothing that I could say to, to prove you wrong, for certainly that is something uh, very personal, intensely personal, only known to you and God. If I were to ask you the question, do you love your neighbor, that might be a more difficult question. You might think about it for a moment and say, well, that depends. Who do you mean by neighbor? The people that live next to me? Or the people that live across the street? Or those in my neighborhood, are they my neighbor? Or the people in the greater Columbus area? 
And before you know it, we could be talking about the 332 million people that live in the United States as our neighbor. There was a sermon preached in my hearing uh, 40 years ago. I was a young man, and, and uh, a guy by the name of Haddon Robinson. Uh, he was a peculiar-looking guy with uh, extra-large ears, and his mouth sat kind of twisted on his face. And he was a professor of homiletics, the art of, of preaching. And he preached a sermon on the Good Samaritan. And to this day, what I've prepared for this morning came from what God put in my heart in listening to that sermon. Sometimes the Lord uses a message preached that just penetrates our heart and shapes our lives, and this was one of them. Haddon Robinson said, be clear, be clear, be clear. People need to be reminded as much as they need to be informed. And so this morning, I'm reminding you of a hero and seeing what God will do by His Spirit in our, in our lives. Here's another picture of a peculiar-looking uh, person. Not a very good picture, but it sits on my dresser, and that's Joel Trainer showing off his muscles. And my point is... God uses weakness <laughs> and puts strength into them, fills them with the Spirit, and God uses him wonderfully in our lives. And my life as a father, as I listen to him week after week, God speaks to me through his Spirit and through his servant, Joel. And it's a privilege uh, for me. I, I love being his dad, and I hope you love him as your pastor. Well, a certain lawyer came to Jesus to trip him up. He wants to increase his reputation, um, and so he asked the question, what is it that I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now, I marvel at Jesus's restraint here, he didn't say to him, well, that's a, that's a stupid question. You don't do anything if you get an inheritance. Someone wills it to you. Uh, they die, and you receive it. It's yours for the taking. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says to him, you're a lawyer. You're an expert in the law. You know the scriptures. What do you think? It says, and by the way, this is a brilliant response. When somebody asks you a, a hard question or what do you think, it doesn't necessarily matter what we think. It's what does God's Word say about this issue or this, this subject? I think this theologian was probably terribly disappointed at Jesus' response. He was looking for uh, some apologetics, a theological debate. 
And so he blurts out in response to Jesus' question, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, right answer, you're right. Do this and live. And suddenly this lawyer um, seems to realize that he's sprung his own trap, like a schoolboy who's given the opportunity to write his own exam. He, he then proceeds to, to flunk it. He didn't have a problem with that first part. Everybody knew how religious he was. It was the part about the neighbor that tripped him up. And that's the part that so many of us have trouble with as well. I don't know if you've noticed, and maybe it's been as a result of the last couple years, but it just seems like people are a little more edgy. Whether at the grocery store, or you're in traffic, or at school, or at the airport, or on an airplane, or in your neighborhood, people are just a little more quick and anxious. I'm um, not a huge Facebook person, but there's a chat in the town that I'm in, and it's amazing to me how people are just blasting and cutting each other. One of the things we do at Abula Beach, I, I serve as uh, one of the, the leaders at a camp and retreat center on, on Lake Erie, and we have about 100 college staff, and we say to them, everyone you meet is going through something, a challenge that you know nothing about. Be nice. Be nice. Every person you meet today is going through a challenge that you know nothing about. Be nice. This is why Jesus had said, by this will everybody know you're my followers. If you have love for each other, you see, love covers a multitude of messed up stuff. And where there's not love, there's often discord and disunity and division and dissension and all kinds of, of stuff like that. So this lawyer asks for a definition of terms. He says, well, who, who is my neighbor? It's impressive to me that Jesus in this moment did not share with him three Greek words uh, for, for love, but he simply refers him to or he tells him this story. It's a remarkable story. It's like a, a toy, a children's toy, a, a, um, a children's sermon, and then all of a sudden you wind it up and it surprises you with the ending. And if you let it, it will change the way that you live. At the end of the story, Jesus says to the lawyer, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, proved to be a neighbor to the man in need? 
and the lawyer not even willing or able to say the word Samaritan out of his mouth says the one who showed mercy and Jesus says right answer you got it so from this story we get the answer as well this morning who is my neighbor Jesus takes this lawyer out of his world of theory and theology, and he takes him into the world of a world that's known by ambulance drivers, first responders, police officers, those who work in the emergency room and the, the hospital. And it's here that we get our answer to the question, who is my neighbor? So there's four candidates for uh, the hero of our story. The first is the mugged man. Now, can you imagine going to this man? He's bleeding. He's half dead. And we say to him, excuse me, sir, from your position down there, uh, we're, we're actually conducting a, a survey of sorts, and who would you say is your neighbor? And all the man can possibly muster is help, help. I suspect his answer would be as wide as the world to that question. Anyone coming down this road, anyone who would be willing to help me is my neighbor. One of my best friends um, I served with in Africa, his name was David Thompson. He was a doctor in a jungle hospital. He grew up in Vietnam. His uh, parents were missionaries there. And when he was 14 years old, uh, there was a terrible accident, and there was a man dying on the road. And his father held his head in his, his lap, and he tried to explain to the, the man his need for Christ. And the dying man said, don't tell me about your God. Help me. Help me. And it was such an indelible moment for my friend David, that he committed his life to help people so that he could tell them about God. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people's lives have been touched by his skill as a surgeon. And thousands and thousands of people have put their faith in Christ as he's had that opportunity to share with them the good news of Christ. If that poor guy by the side of the road could have made a list of candidates as to who was his neighbor, the priest and the Levite would be at the top of that list. Tradition tells us that these two, every morning, they, they got up in the morning and they said these words, you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Who would better qualify than these? So the priest 
Jesus says that uh, when the priest saw the injured man, he passed by on the other side. I don't know about you, but it's, it's hard for me to identify with someone that would do such a thing, a man who would look at somebody in, in desperate need and simply ignore it and angle away and walk down the road. Certainly doesn't sound like anybody from Three Creeks. I marvel at your care for your neighbor and your community as a church and pray with you that if any reason you'd ever leave Gehanna, people would, would know that there's a difference, that you're no longer here. Sounds like people maybe in Chicago or, or New York City that would just pass somebody that was hurting. Now, I'm not sure, or I am sure that the priest had some, some good reasons or some reasons that sounded good for um, doing what he did. Back in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, the law said that if a priest were to touch a dead body, then he would become ceremonially unclean. He would be defiled, and he'd have to go through all kinds of a ritual cleansing in order to go back into ministry. And so perhaps this priest looked at this guy and said, he's an inch from death. It'd be just my luck if I go down and help him that he dies, and then I'd have to do all these things, and people would wonder why I'm going through these rituals, and I'd have some explaining to do. I'm not saying that that's what went on in his mind, but it's the way that we think sometimes. There has been in the church of Jesus Christ a doctrine that we have called the doctrine of separation. And the way that it works is we, we've been called to live holy lives separate from the world. And so there are some things that we don't do and some places that we don't go and some language that we don't use or want to, to listen to. And so in applying that, we kind of stay in our lane and we, we form our uh, Christian enclave and in order to preserve our testimony, whatever that is, we stay away from those that are in desperate need. We withdraw. And uh, maybe that's what the, the priest did. The next candidate is the Levite. The Levite, he was one who would help the priest with his priestly duties if uh, if the priest was the senior pastor, then maybe the Levite was on staff, maybe the assistant pastor. So um, like the priest, the Levite too sees, Jesus said, and he walks to the other side of the road. Maybe he thought, uh, I'm getting ready for um, the church picnic or I'm getting ready for an outreach to reach 
Jerusalem to Jericho on the road, this outreach that, that we're going to do. I don't know if he thought that, but we sometimes do. There is in the church of Jesus Christ some kind of arithmetic that was spawned in the counting rooms of hell that's always concerned about the masses, the big groups, but it doesn't get down to caring for individuals, the neighbors, whether we even know the, the people who live on our street by name because we're so involved in so many things with to reach the masses. I, I love Jesus that he stops and talks to a woman at a, a well or he looks up in a tree and says, I'm going to your house today. It was one nobleman's son. It was one coin. It was one shepherd. It was one demon-possessed man. Um, one, one, one. And then there's the Samaritan. Jesus said this man came and he saw the wounded traveler. He stopped his, his car and he got out and he got the first aid kit and he took some wine, which would help with disinfectant, and he took some oil, which would soothe the pain, and he put him on his animal and he took him to a hotel and he reached into his own pocket and pulled out a day's wage, two days wage, and he gave it to the innkeeper. And when Jesus finishes the story, he says to the lawyer, that's the case. Three guys, two who know their, their theology, and one who reached down and helped, which one was the neighbor? And the lawyer says, the one who had mercy. And so from this lawyer's answer, we get the answer to the question, who is my neighbor? And we get the answer to the question, who is the hero of the story? The answer is as simple as it is sublime. Here it is. Jesus is saying, my neighbor is anyone whose need I see, whose need God has put me in a position to meet. My neighbor is anyone whose need I see, whom God has put me in a position to meet. It's that simple. It's that profound. Quickly, a few observations and answering the question, who is my neighbor? Your neighbor may be someone unknown to you, someone you've never met. Uh, we don't know in this story, but presumably this Jew and this Samaritan have never met before. One of the marks of the love of Christ is that people have gone uh, to a culture that they do not know to learn a language they've never spoken in order to share with people the good news in their desperate state, the good news of Jesus Christ. When I was in, in college, there was an international worker that spoke the words, a call of God is often seeing a need 
and saying, Lord, I'm willing for you to meet that need through me. But the Lord may introduce you to someone soon, someone you've never met before. It could be a, an international student. It could be uh, a migrant or a refugee. Or it could be someone just down the road, a few houses down that you still haven't met. It could be somebody that you've never met. It could be somebody that's unfriendly. Jews and Samaritans, uh, they were ancient enemies. And your neighbor may be the type of person that slams the door in your face when you show up. Your neighbor may be the type of person that talks about you behind your back. Your neighbor may be someone whose personality uh, just rubs you the wrong way. Someone whose lifestyle whose look or language you don't approve of. Your neighbor may be someone who doesn't get their news from the same source you do. They may be a Democrat. They may be a Republican. Your neighbor may be someone from the state up north. Your neighbor may be unfriendly. Or your neighbor may be unlovely. What's more than someone that's unknown or unfriendly is someone that just, um, when you see their dirt, when you see the blood, it, it turns your stomach. And so someone that just causes you to say, ooh, I'm going to angle off and go the other way. It might be an old person or a fat person or somebody that smells funny. Somebody that's unlovely. Or your neighbor may be unrewarding. You get nothing out of it. In fact, you may have to give something. You may have to give your time. You may have to give your money. And you may get nothing back in return this side of, of heaven. It costs the, uh, the good Samaritan... I mentioned a couple days' wages. I don't know what you make in a day. I don't know what you make in, in two days. But the point is, it may cost us something. Are you willing to give of your time and money to someone who is unknown, unlovely, unfriendly, and unrewarding? Here it is. Your neighbor is anyone who... You see whose need God puts you in a position to meet. But there's a hook here, and here it is. Your neighbor is anyone whose need you see. 
And Jesus makes a very clear point that each of these individuals saw the man. What you are determines what you see. And what you see determines what you do. So let me start, or let me end where I started, and that is ask you the question, do you love God? And do you love your neighbor? You may know that our family served in Gabon, Africa for about a decade, and um, we learned a language called Obamba. We were there to reach an unreached people group, um, a group of people that never heard the, the name of Christ. And um, they didn't have a church, they didn't have the Bible and their language, and um, we learned a, another language, Obamba, Kumeme uh, Trainer, Mebani Atari, Metsia Franfil Duo Pani and Joan Pambe. My name is is Trainer. I've got three kids. I live next to the the bread store in our neighborhood. And also near us ran the Ogawe River. It was a huge river. And there was a bridge that went into town. It was the hub of activity. And uh, there were women who would be washing their clothes, and there would be men that were, were fishing in the river. And there were children playing. And one day, some kids ran to my house, just screaming their hearts out. And uh, they don't knock, they co co co, but I could hear them from a long ways away as they were yelling, Ya, Ya Kuni. And uh, they were calling for me to, to come. And I went to the river, and one of the, the boys, uh, actually uh, a, um, a boy that Joel could have played with, um, he'd got out in the current a little bit too far, and he started to cry out, Ya! Ya kuni kwa kwa! And uh, people were around doing their thing, and he was calling out, I've got a cramp in my leg. Help! Oh, Sakur, help me! And um, he started going down the, the river. And so when the kids ran to my house to tell me, they told me that he was gone and he had gone underwater and he had drowned. And I looked around and I said, why didn't anybody do anything? Why didn't anybody attempt to save this boy? And they said, me pastor, pastor, there's mermaids in the water and they took the boy and I, I could hardly believe it but I think of that story from time to time and I think of how we go on through life and I'm going fishing and I'm doing the daily chores and I'm working and people all around us are crying out yeah yeah 
Kukuni, Kwa, Kwa. And they go to a Christless doom. And we're oblivious. We've seen the need, but we're really oblivious to it. Man, let me close with this. Have a word of prayer. And we'll let you go. Soren Kierkegaard tells the story of a country in which there are only ducks. And all of the ducks on Sunday waddle to a church and they squat in the seats. And the duck preacher stands up and opens the duck Bible and he says, ducks, you have wings. And with wings you can fly. You can soar into the sky like the eagles. Fly, ducks, fly. And all of the ducks quack, amen. And then they waddle home. Let's pray together. Lord, what we are determines what we see, and what we see determines what we do. So in answering the question this morning, do we love God? We want to tell you that we do. We love you, Lord, and we want to love you with all that we have, that all that we are. And I pray that a, a demonstration of our love, that we won't babble on and on about how much we love you, whom we have not seen, when we don't love our neighbor, whom we have seen. So I pray this week that those here at Three Creeks, that you will bring divine appointments into our lives, that we would be sensitive to your leading by your spirit, and we would respond in a clear way in order to love others so that people will be drawn to the love of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.